Just a friendly reminder that the opinions expressed on this show are not worth a Canadian penny, so disregard anything you hear that might get anyone in trouble. And despite some of the great ideas you may hear, don't try them at home. Go to friend's house instead. Slamfire Radio, episode number 146 for March 11, 2016. I'm one of your hosts, Kelly Lynn, the roving reporter, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Adriel Michaud. It's pronounced 146. We're very, very picky on how we pronounce numbers on Slamfire Radio. Now you, you know. <laughs> now you know. OCD much. And I am yes. Trevor OCD for a lot. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> How and Matthew is, yeah. Matt, Matthew is on a comfrey play date. <laughs> Standing his crops. So, yeah. Trevor, what did you do other than guns this week? Um, I picked up my, well, one of my uh, Tanfogo limited customs. So for Ipsic standard division, um, I shoot forty caliber standard. And I got rid of the STI 2011 because it was too much like a 1911. And I've decided to switch over to the Tanfoglio. So I think probably the, the, the two most popular pistols um, are the 2011s and then the Tanfoglios. I can't afford an SVI. They're like $6,000. That's just silly. So I went to Tanfoglio. I ordered a limited custom this summer, uh, an Extreme. Tanfoglio has a their regular line of guns, and then they have the Extreme line, which are filled with uh, parts made by Eric Raffel, who is a uh, world champion Ipsic shooter who shoots for Tanfoglio and has his own line of aftermarket parts. So rather than buy the parts and put them on your new gun, they decide to sell the gun with all the parts on it. So they have the um, Extreme Stock 2 and Stock 3 and the Limited Custom and their open gun. So I ordered one of those. It's not in yet. But in the meantime, I bought one from Mo as a backup. So I picked that up on Friday and um, proceeded to go to Fredericton for the weekend where I went shooting with Filthy and Fred. And uh, good time. I got to shoot a – well, I brought down my 308 because a buddy of mine that I coach with in archery was uh, dying to shoot it. And he had a blast shooting clays off of the berm at 100. And Fred had a, I don't know, almost a – not quite a foot square but a large piece of uh, – Air 500 steel that he hung at the uh, 100 meter line. Cool. So we were shooting that as well, and I got to shoot a um, Glock 17L. I don't know if Ryan is a listener or not. He's a buddy of Fred's, and um, it's only the second 17L I've ever seen. It's even like if you picture a, a Glock 17 and then a Glock 34 is the long slide. Well, the Glock 17L is even longer than the Glock 34. So I took one look at it and went, I need to shoot that plate at 100 yards. So um, sure enough, I did. I cracked a few shots off with it. Uh, and I was actually shooting the Glock 17L. I was getting more hits on the plate with the 17L than I was with my 5-inch FNS, which was interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and the owner, again, just like last time I was at that range, the owner hadn't thought of trying to uh, 
shoot his gun at 100 meters, but then he tried it and he started to get hits at 100 meters too. So um, it, it can certainly be done. And then I saw the craziest thing ever. This guy was reloading for his Mosin Nagant. Now, if that's not ridiculous enough, really, like who reloads for 7.62 by 54R? What this cat did, he cast his own projectiles. And you know, Adriel, how I've been talking about powder coating my, my pistol ammunition? Yep. This guy spray painted the bullets. Okay. Yep. How'd that work? <laughs> it worked yeah. great. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. You ever heard of this thing, Kelly? Yeah. Jeremy on Reloading Podcast, he actually does it. Does he? Yeah. yeah. Well, um, so does Fred, apparently. <laughs> uh, it stops the letting. It, it, yeah. it slows it down. Well, it's the same idea as the powder coat, right? It lubricates the bullet so that you don't uh, you don't have to deal with wax. Now, I don't know if he needed a gas check because it's a rifle bullet. I don't know if he did, if he bothered or not. But uh, it, we didn't see the typical Mosin Nagant fireball. But um, it, yeah, and he was he was getting hits at 100 meters huh. on his steel gong with it. So yeah, I'd run a gas check if if he's going over 1600 FPS or so. I would I'd run a gas check on there. And he may be, I don't know. It's a yeah. mosaic gone, so I didn't really look into it that much. And then, um, so I was in Fredericton for two days for a um, learning facilitator course for our coaching archery. And um, So now you can I, teach people? Sorry. <laughs> well, I, I always I always was, but um, I have to, like, I, I do the certification courses. So if you want to become a certified archery coach, I teach that class. So they, um, I had been trained by the archery side to teach the classes, but Coach New Brunswick and the NCCP, the National Coaching Certification Program of Canada, they have their own training for learning facilitators and local facilitators. So everybody by 2017 is going to need it. Whether you are teaching or not, you need to go take this. So I went and got that. Um, I was thinking I was going in for MLF training, which is Master Learning Facilitator, where you teach the teacher. Right. So um, that's not till. Maybe October, actually. I may get it as soon as October. So, because next year I'll be the only one in the province uh, certified to teach coaching classes. So, if I get hit by a bus, we're kind of in a mess. So, um, I need to get my MLF training so I can train a couple more instructors to work with me. So, um, after Filthies, I went to um, Edmonston. So, I went like pretty much around the province. I went from Camelton to Moncton, Moncton to Fredericton, and then from Fredericton to Edmonston to hang out with Matthew for the night. And wow. we went we went to the range and shot our handguns. Um, well, he also got his hands on that twenty two that looks like a SCAR. What's that one called, Adriel? The ISSC. Yeah, that one. Um, Anschutz makes a version, too. Oh, do they're they? The same, they're the same gun. The Anschutz one's a little bit nicer. Fred uh, sent it over to Matthew for Matthew to play with. Um, neither one of us are really crazy about it. I think mostly it's the trigger that that I'm not really fussy about. But um, how's the reliability? It was good. There was no yeah. no complaints there. Yeah, but I, I I would still rather have a tricked out 10.22 like what like Kelly's. Kelly's got the perfect 10.22. Yeah. If you like that, <laughs> you don't like the ergonomics. What's what's the thing? Uh, yeah. Yeah, just having to take it all apart to even clean it out. So I'm looking at searching out a few things on it. Although it's pretty neat, right? Looks tactical and everything. Looks cool. Well, exactly. Yeah, I think. But uh, you're right. I mean, it is 
locked into that shell. And if you want to do a detail strip, you have to uh, yeah. take some stuff apart. So, you know, don't clean it. <laughs> there's that, I suppose. Yeah. Um, Doesn't work out well if you don't. No, exactly. What else do we do? So, well, the main main reason was uh, I got a uh, consent to borrow form from the CFO's office so that Matthew could borrow my FN, FNS 4-inch. So I left that with him so that he could spend some time with it and do a review. But he, uh, I already know he's not going to buy one. He didn't, he, he didn't hate it, but he didn't like it. There was not enough there to convince him to leave the, the Glock and switch. Um, his primary complaint was that he felt the um, grip was too small. They should include a third larger backstrap. There's a flat backstrap, an arch backstrap, and that's it. If they would include another one that was one size larger, like the M&P has three sizes, it might help. Um, he felt that uh, he couldn't get enough contact with his support hand and the gun to really prevent it from moving when he fired it. So if it's if it's my hand better, so I guess that's why uh, you know I, I certainly like it more than more than he does. But if if it didn't fit me as well as it did, I guess I'd probably feel the same way he does. Um, the trigger, of course, out of the box, I find the trigger return is a little, a little gritty, but that does clean up and get better with time. So I had both my FNs there, so he could, he could check them out, and he agreed that you know my five inch because it's been shot in had a much better uh, trigger. So, uh, and so I'm on March break, so I'm just bumming around the reloading room, picking at things here and there. I did a little bit of 308 reloading and a little bit of 44 Magnum reloading. Last night, I went to my gun club meeting, which was awesome because it lasted less than 30 minutes. <sighs> nice. I, I know. I love it when that happens. Called the it, meeting. Sorry. How long does it take you to get there? To get to the meeting? Yeah. <laughs> Longer than the meeting lasts. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We always have another meeting downstairs in the bar after the meeting, though, oh, Kelly. Okay. So it's, it's well, that's where the real meeting happens. So, yeah, we called the meeting to order at 7. Muffin's the president. I'm the vice president. And we called the meeting to order at 7.04. And at 7.27, we were adjourned. Those Fantastic. are good meetings. Those are good meetings. Yeah. yeah. So uh, not much going on in the wintertime. So I gave a report on SummerSlam. It went something like this. Everything is done. Next. <laughs> <laughs> right. So. Yep. Um, and then today I bought my. Would it be my second? Can you really call an M three hundred five a, a, a Milserp? You can't, can you? Mm, no, because they're they're new, right? Well, kind of new. They're, well, yeah, they're new, and they're a clone of an M fourteen, so they're not even like a Milserp. I don't know what you would call them, but anyway, I guess today I bought my second Milserp. Because my Garand is my first Milserp. And um, there's a, a guy in the club whose father-in-law passed. And he was a veteran. And he had all kinds of guns. And he's down to just three. A Savage Model 99 in 303 Savage. which And it's in really, really good shape. Um, a Lee Enfield. And an SKS. And I actually bought the Lee Enfield. <laughs> I, I've wanted a Lee Enfield for a while. Full wood, of course. And I wanted either a jungle carbine or a long branch, a Canadian-made long branch. And the better the condition, the better. But this one, um, the price was right. The bore was clean. 
And it was all there except for the bayonet. Even the oiler that goes in the stock was there and a like a military issue gun case. It's all canvas. Have you ever seen huh. one of those, Adrian? Yeah. You mm-hmm. know what I'm talking about? Nope. 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 No idea. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to get some pictures of it. It's really cool. It's like what they gave the men to carry their rifle in. It's a number four Mark One, um, and it's a Savage. It says property of U.S. government on the receiver. Wow. So I, yeah, I went from wanting a, a Canadian-made um, uh, Long Branch to to a Savage um, with property of the United States stamped on it. Do you know what year it is? No, but I, w- I will be able to find out because those the ones made by Savage were uh, a pretty narrow window, and apparently there's not a lot of them out there. Um, a couple of thousand, maybe, were made instead of like a million or tens of thousands or however many they made. So uh, I'm not going to like restore it, but I am going to clean it up and, and uh, clean the wood off and soak it in linseed oil or something like that. Um, so, yeah, that was... Very cool. But, yeah, I'm always saying, you know, no wood on guns, but no, it's the right wood on guns, right? Yeah. yeah remind me after the show, I've got some uh, charger clips for uh, Enfield. No way. Yep. Awesome. That's cool. Cool. Mm. That's it for me. Oh, sorry, Kelly, yeah. were you going to do? No, I was just going to say, Adriel, what did you do? Because <laughs> that's what uh, you were going to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I made a, a whole pile of match, uh, kind of like match savers. So if you if you're into three gun shotgun and you're in a you have a, a semi automatic tube fed shotgun, what you'll have is uh, uh, whenever you run the thing dry, it's kind of uh, it's kind of inconvenient to charge the chamber. You have to throw a shell into the into the uh, port from the side into the ejection port, and uh, and charge it up. But if you're doing like load two or something like that. You've got two shells in your hand. One needs to go through the port, and only one needs to go through the bottom. So it's, it's kind of a pain in the butt. So um, you can buy them online, and that's what I'd encourage everyone to do out there is just to, to, to buy them. But uh, I've got a match coming up this weekend, and uh, I don't have enough time. They're $25 U.S., minus shipping and all that other kind of stuff. So uh, I looked up some YouTube videos on how to do it, and some guys had suggested using three-quarter-inch pecs. PEX is like that water line that you use that uh, that's easily crimpable that you can uh, use in your house kind of a thing. And uh, I got a five-foot length of it for like five bucks. And then me and my buddy just like churned out 20 of them because why not? We're, we're doing it in, anyways, right? So if you could imagine uh, a shotgun shell holder that you typically run like a side saddle, they, they load in vertically and they load in on the left side of the receiver. This guy goes up front on the fore end and it goes horizontally. And the idea is, is if you've got an empty chamber, you can uh, sweep that shell back into the chamber and then hit the uh, bolt release and you're charged. So it's very, very fast. Um, like realistically, when you're shooting sh- uh, three gun, you're not supposed to run your uh, shot, your shotgun dry because because it is a pain in the butt to uh, to charge it up. But this is just something to kind of save your butt if you um, if you run out. Or to run a slug if there uh, if there might be like a, a single slug shot kind of thing on a on a course. So I made up a pile of those. Uh, I also sold my Mossberg Blaze. That was that 22 that I had. Um, I had bought it primarily to to review it. So uh, so it's off to its new home now. I gave the guy a really good 
really good deal on it. Uh, those things have, have gone up in price, and I, I, I gave them a, a discount off the price I've paid. So good deal. That's cool. Um, and then I got uh, I got my world's finest trimmer. So Trevor, you've already got those videos out there on uh, on how to use it. I've got one in two two three, and I've got just buckets of uh, of two two three brass to resize and then trim. I, so I figured. I figured out, Adriel, how to get it to trim my brass to the size I want. If you set the length on a piece of trimmed brass, it's going to, and and then you start trimming your brass, it's unfortunately going to cut the brass shorter than what you actually want. And mm-hmm. I've experienced this with both my 223 and my 308 trimmer. So what I do is um, I take a piece of, fired brass that has not been uh, trimmed. It's been resized but not trimmed. And I adjust the trimmer off. We lost Trevor. You would think you shouldn't cut because I've adjusted it to that length. Am I back? Yep, you're back. Okay. You were just gone for a second or two there. Okay. So what I do is I take a piece of resized brass that has not been trimmed and I adjust my trimmer to that length. Now it shouldn't trim it, but it does. And I keep adjusting the trimmer. So I, I set the trimmer on the full-length resized brass, lock her down, and then I actually trim that piece of brass, and then I adjust the trimmer again to that length. I got you. Yep. And I keep doing that until I get the length I want. Mm-hmm. If you adjust it, if you take a piece of trimmed brass that you trim in another trimmer and use that trimmed brass to adjust your trimmer, your brass will come out shorter than you want. So FYI. Okay. Start with start yeah. with a piece that's long, trim it, and then readjust the trimmer. Trim it, readjust the trimmer until you get it to the length you actually want, and then yeah. lock tight it and weld it shut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think the construction on it's really cool. I mean, it's a it's a really simple device. It's got like a uh, a skateboard bearing or something, some kind of bearing at the front there, and uh, and the cutter, and yeah, it's very very simple. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm gonna yeah, it sizes off of the shoulder. Yeah. What it, yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Which that, they said that you can get replacement parts for the trimmer and the bearings as well. So if yeah. those. Yeah. Those, I don't think this yeah. bearing's ever going to wear out. It's like a heavy duty kind of a thing. Yeah, but the cutter. Yeah, you will need a cutter after. I think they said four to five thousand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll test that out. Oh, me too. I have. <laughs> I have double or triple that. In brass. After a weekend. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, I got a, I got a smoking deal on some two two three today. The same guy I bought the Enfield from. Yeah. He sold he sold Muffin and I four hundred and eighty rounds of five five six for a hundred bucks. Cheers. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Hmm. That's a good price. Mm, very. So, yeah. all done, Nary Drill. Anything else? Yeah. What do you what, what did you do this weekend, uh, Guns Kelly? Uh, yeah, I, nothing uh, much. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> didn't go Not anywhere much. or anything. No real biggie, as I said. Did you Did you enjoy the cold? Uh, yeah, Trevor, you should have been there. I know. I'm yeah. Sorry. Yeah, this week it's supposed to be 17 and 18 degrees down there, but you know, uh, Saturday was very cold in Michigan. Uh, it was not only it would have been okay if it was just snowing, but it was snowing, hailing, and uh, raining all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, so when you're lying prone or you're you know you're you're doing your seated position, you're sitting you're sitting in a puddle of water or you're laying in water that's freezing, and yeah, it was fun. But oh my god, I did. I, I you know I was happy that I shot the qualifier. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it at the time. I I hated it because I was in these uncomfortable positions and I wasn't good at it right away and I didn't know what I was doing. Oh my god, I can't imagine doing it and being really uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you're uncomfortable anyways because of the weather, but also, you know, you're wearing, you know, three or four or five, six layers of clothing and all that too. So, yeah. So what I, if people don't know what I'm talking about or, or whatever, they, uh, I went down and did an apple seed and it, uh, it was really fun though because I got to meet some really cool people. I got to see Stacy, of course, and I got to see Brian Sheets from Valkyrie Defense. Uh, Red Ranch was there. Uh, Rick and Mario, who are actually I met at the Maple Seed uh, that was run up in Bancroft. And then I also got to meet in person Mike uh, Islin. And he brought his uh, two boys as well. Mike's from the Reloading podcast that we were just talking about. And Kevin was there. Uh, what else happened? Uh, oh, on the Friday, we got to shoot some really cool guns. Again, Trevor... You should have been there because I got I to shoot, uh, yeah I got to shoot a suppressed scar uh, Tech Nine and uh, there was no AK 47s this year um, but that's okay so you got to shoot way cooler stuff a Tech Nine yeah. and a suppressed scar really yep it was really cool we have cooler uh, guns than AKs so it doesn't matter but that's <laughs> yeah so well you know we were hoping still to be able to because we can't do it here in Canada so. And that, okay. and I got my Rifleman patch. I got it on the first day. There were six that were handed out on the first day, so which is quite a huge number, apparently. And everybody who got it on the first day got it on the second day as well. And then there was one more guy. One more, The one more guy, his name is Dave. He had been to seven apple seeds, and this is uh, the first time he's gotten his patch. So. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, it was, it was huge for him. He was so happy and so excited. I think... I was the happiest out of everybody, <laughs> but he was the second happiest as well. So. But not only not only did you get your your rifleman's patch, you got a very special patch. I did. Oh well, everybody did. We, we yeah yeah everybody got. Uh, it's called a winter seat because it has to be at freeze or either at freezing or below freezing for, in order for you to get it. And we uh, were below freezing temperatures, so we got it. So yeah, it's only given to only given during times when it's uh, either below zero or yeah so it was it's very cool it's blue and has icicles on it yeah and the next one there's three different patches so actually there's four uh, one uh, there's a winter seed one which we got there was the normal one which is the uh, the green and then there's also the inferno patch was it which is for temperatures over 100 and then there's one that's special for ladies as well so if it's a lady seed and go and get it. So, but yep, we got the uh, the winter seed one, so we were very very happy about that. And not only that, every single Canadian that went down, there was only four of us. Um, Still, yeah, we all got our patches. So, that was got cool. to got to represent. I know we did. Uh, well Brian, Sh- Brian Sheets also got his, and uh, another another American. Uh, his name is uh, Bill. Bill Wilson, he got his as well. And, uh, yeah. And uh, one of the things that we did was we asked, we also lost Kevin's Jeep. Yeah. You want to explain that? <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so uh, everybody now, left. Now Every- I understand what you wrote on Facebook when you said, Kevin, yeah. you think who's this one too? Yeah. So everybody left for the range, and we were all given the, the address. So we all typed it into our GPS systems, and off we went. Because we all left at different times. Uh, Stacy had to be there a little early because she was setting up, and yeah. Anyways, so we typed it into our GPS, which was the app on our phone. So we're going off to the range, and I'm going, this doesn't look familiar. So we took a road that led to some guy's house. It's a long, it was, his driveway was actually the road, and it was, uh, yeah, a no turning back point. Do you know what I mean? It was his driveway, basically. Did you hear banjos? Yeah. Uh, so there was a there was a guy in a truck there, and we're going, uh, okay, like, you know, should we ask him? You know, sorry, we're in your your driveway. Can uh, can you tell us how to get to? Can you tell us how to get to the range? Um, but he pulled up alongside of us at one point in the driveway because it had a big turnaround, and he said, uh, "This isn't the range, is it?" And we're going, "Nope." And he had a, a four by four truck, and he said, "Okay, well, he took off." Anyway, so we tried to get out of the driveway as well, but it was this big, long hill that was steep, and it also curved at the top. So Kevin and I were in the Jeep, and we tried to take a running start at it, and we couldn't get up the hill. His Jeep is not a Jeep. It's a Patriot, and it's two-wheel drive, and also the anti-traction on it wasn't working. So... Yeah, the traction control. It wasn't yeah. working. So we were sliding down that hill. We slipped backwards. We almost, Anyways, so along comes Brian Sheets and also Bill Wilson. They were in the, uh, they were in a Volkswagen Jetta. <laughs> they, were, they followed in behind us. And uh, same thing happened to them. They couldn't get up the hill at first, but um, they were actually able to get up at, at one point. The guy Because traction control. Because they had traction control in the yeah. Volkswagen Jetta. Eh. <laughs> Makes a big difference. Yeah. So the guy that was in the house, it, or whose ever driveway it is, he comes out and he goes, having a little bit of problem there. And uh, we said, yeah, what we're looking for is the range. And he said, yeah, people, you know, get this location all the time. And uh, we said, well, you know... Uh, Nope. We're trying. We're trying to get up the hill. The reason why is because they had snow, and then they had ice, and then they had fresh snow that morning. And so the hill was so slippery because of the ice underneath of it with the snow, and we couldn't get up the hill. So uh, we actually offered the guy uh, the opportunity to go and shoot with us, and he goes, "I ain't got no guns." <laughs> and, and so we're going okay. Uh, but what he did was, Kevin, because we couldn't get up the hill loaded we loaded all of our guns and everything into this guy's truck and the guy drove kevin and and the the stuff to the actual range now when we say we lost the 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 jeep we didn't know where the jeep was technically because the address for the range (laughs) was this in the gps so we yeah we went to go get the jeep later we just followed GPS coordinates again back to enemies, but yeah. So we didn't know how we were going to get the, the Jeep, but we figured it out. Yeah, 
end of the day, it was much warmer. You know, it was a little bit more slushy, so we were able to get up the hill. So we lost the Jeep. No biggie. We got it back. Yeah. It's no biggie. <laughs> Excellent. That's, that's the best apple seed there. Story. Yeah. yeah, I should have been. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Lots of, lots of Jamesons was consumed, I saw. There was. Yeah, I didn't. No. But no, no, it wasn't you. <laughs> yeah. There was uh, some apple pie moonshine. Yeah. Some Jamesons and some Cards Against Humanity was played. It wasn't good. Man, no, no, the, all of that is good, Kelly. That is like in my world, everything you just said is like it's it's by definition good. It was a ton of fun. So, oh, man, yep. I can't wait for the charity shoot. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah. So the other thing that I wanted to tell you is I saw the Australian review. Yeah, I was hoping you were going to skip that part. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah, I saw it a few weeks ago. Um, but yeah. Stacy claims it's not her fault. You guys needed in. Serious. <laughs> Check like Australia and the UK and all these other weird places too. I mean, I guess if Stacy wants a job, we can pay her twice what she's getting now from the Arm Squirrels project. Which is nothing. Exactly. Mm, okay. So. It's really easy to do, but yeah. Okay. So what about upcoming events? Do you want to cover the RPAL safety course that's going on at the Rustigush Gun Club? It's actually not going on at the Rustigush Gun Club. Uh, we take, no, we should take that out of there. I know why that was put in. It was put in because it was emailed from the Rustigush Gun Club. Okay. But it's being held at the um, uh, the Department of Natural Resources handles the... Um, oh, no, it is an RPAL, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's still not being put on by the Rustigush Gun Club. <laughs> But it is going to take place in Camelton on April 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. To register, you actually need to call the CFO's office in New Brunswick to register for that. Hmm. So, yeah. Okay. What about the first annual Ronnie de Groot? That's, that will, that's, ha- that's happening at the Rush de Goose, right? Indeed. The first yeah. annual Ronnie de Groot Rockout with your Glockout Steel Challenge. So this will be a combination of actual stages from Steel Challenge competitions and fun stages that will involve, um, like, the Texas Star Challenge. Um, there will be um, a dueling tree challenge and man versus man on the plate rack. So with that one is uh, you have a plate rack and I have a plate rack and we each have a popper next to the plate rack with a mandatory reload. The fastest person to clean their plate rack and knock over the popper wins. The Texas Star is an individual challenge. Everybody takes a shot at it. The guy with the best time or girl wins. The dueling tree um, will be a um, just a straight up competition. So um, I'm actually thinking of trying to incorporate like a double elimination. So everybody goes, and the winners go to the A side. The losers go to the B side, and then everybody in the A side shoots off against each other. Everybody on the B side shoots off against each other. And then the winner of the A side and the B side come together and, and go at it one more time. Okay. Kind of make it, yeah, like a little double elimination yeah. tournament style thing. So it'll be a, it'll be a full day of, of fun steel shooting for sure. And all the money will go to charity to the uh, Restigation Mobile Club. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So the next event we have is the 6th Annual Charity Shoot in support of Soldier On, and it's going to be taking place on June 25th, and it's going to be happening at the Brockville District Fish and Game Club, 
And if you're interested, you can contact New Shooter Canada, and we have an events page there. And lots and lots and lots of cool things are happening with that. I just confirmed the sponsor's um, shoot for the 250, or sorry, 240 um, yard um, the gun that's going to be brought for that. It's going to be awesome. We're going to announce it a little bit later. And we got some more sponsors that are coming on board. I don't know if... Did you guys know that Vortex has uh, given us some binoculars and that as well? As a oh, that's that's cool. amazing. I didn't know that. No. So Brian Bolivar, he uh, he he brought uh, Vortex on board. So shout out to him for that. Oh wow. Cool. Yeah, we got some we got some people, you know, helping out and some other things happening as well. Uh, Daniel Shaw, uh, the cool thing about it, the Yankee Tango Project. Have you guys heard about this? Oh yes. Okay, so RJ is going to be holding his course on the Friday. It's the High End Gun Fundamental Course. Um, but he's going to be coming to the charity shoot as well, and he's going to be selling the the uh, chips. And uh, 100% of the proceeds are going to be going to Soldier On that day. Cool. Little so, known. So, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, little, known, little known fact about the Yankee Tango Project. Mm-hmm. Owen had a st- had a hand in its uh, kind of its inception. I mean, the idea wasn't Owen's or anything like that, but uh, Daniel needed something to give to somebody to help say thank you because this person did something really selfless for Daniel, and Daniel wanted to give them something that meant a lot to him, mm-hmm. and Daniel gave him the patch that Owen gave him at Caribbean Vitals One. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was a you know, it's like this. This patch was given to me by one of my students in Canada. It means a lot to me. It's all I have on me right now. I'd just like I'd like you to have it as a way of saying thank you. I want I want to give you something that means a lot to me. So he actually handed over the patch that Owen gave to him because yeah. at the time it was what he had that that was personal and meant a lot to him. And then he thought we need something, you know. And Tango Yankee Chip was born. Right, and the. And the premise of the chip itself is to pass it on, pay it forward, yep. and tell somebody that they're, you really appreciate something that they've done for you. So That's really cool. Adriel, you want to talk yep. about the uh, Got Your Six since it's in your neck of the woods? You bet. Uh, Got Your Six is a Wounded Warrior chari- charity shoot. It's being held at the Edson Fish and Game One Mile Range in Alberta. That'll be July 16th to 17th. Go to gotyoursix.com. Got, sorry, gotyoursixshoot.com for more information. Okay. Speaking of wounded warriors, did you guys see the I news read it today? Too. Yeah, yeah, I read that. Yeah, I don't. I didn't. I didn't know if I should say it or not because you know they're they're trying to put on a uh, you know a charity here for uh, for the organization. But yeah, I think their CEO and CFO got let, got let go. Yep. Yeah. Okay, I think it's. This, a, sorry, was this the one in Canada or is it down in the states? States. Yeah, they're not linked to each other, I don't believe. Nope. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, they want to, I think Canada wants to distance itself from them a little yeah. bit. So. Man, yeah, and the American one is kind of anti-gun, but the Canadian one is not. Uh, yeah, exactly. So so we also, uh, Adriel, you put this into. Do you want to talk about this? Again, it's in your neck of the woods. So. <clears throat> yeah, sure. This was, uh, uh, Jim had emailed this in for us. Um and uh, I'll, I'll just read his email. He says, uh, clearly, I'm way behind on podcasts. Here's an up-and-coming shooting competition. It's ZootShooters.com. Good old 1920s cops and robbers stuff. Do you know of any other competition that, that encourages you to bring your full-auto Tommy gun to shoot as long as the range allows it? 
Keep up the good work. P.S. The Rocky Mountain 300 is coming up in June. Watch here for the 300-plus rounds in five stages, uh, stage layout, and he's got a link there. Um, production gunners walk around with a minimum of eight mags for the 300. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a big loadout. <laughs> I'm not so, quite sure where, where, where those are, just, though. Yeah, I'm just saying, thinking uh, full-auto Tommy gun. Mm, I know, right? Maybe not Canada. Maybe <laughs> not Canada. Maybe not. So, <laughs> SuitShooters.com. Have you checked it out at all? No, I haven't seen it, no. Check the link out? No, me neither. So, maybe we should do that. Okay, so what's in the news? Uh, we have something from uh, Owen. Uh, do you know anything about this, what's going on with it? I haven't had yeah. a chance to read it. Um, you want to take it, Adriel, or you put it in? I'll, I'll read the top part here, and you can you can put your comments in as I go through. Uh, right. This is from Owen. Uh, an interesting article that supports a lot of what I've come to believe about real-world shooting. In my experience shooting, IPSC and tactical training at real-world engagement distances, I never see the sights. I shoot my handgun like I shoot my shotguns, using perfect form from muscle memory that aligns my gun to where I'm looking. Sure, there are still elements involving sights that uh, need to be there. The sights are still in my vision and are used as an indicator of where I'm aiming, but my focus, as hard as I tried, was rarely on the front sight when shooting fast at targets closer than 10 meters. The urgency of getting bullets on target as fast as possible to preserve one's life will always prevail over carefully aimed shots at that distance. Now, this is uh, the article is about uh, not using your, not focusing on the front sight, instead focusing on the target and kind of pointing the gun at it and pulling the trigger. If I could, like, boil down a, a, a big, long, well-written article into a, a really dumb one sentence. Well, not a dumb one sentence, very concise, and that's exactly what what the article is all about. It's about uh, front sight focus shooting versus target focus shooting. You know, old school versus new school thoughts. It's a very, very interesting article, and it's it's worth reading. Um I, th- I think I'm not for like a, a real, real close, why why not, right? Just kind of uh, put it on target and, and hammer away, right? Yeah, I mean, if you're pointing your finger at something, you're going to hit what you're pointing at, right? I mean, you, so you point the gun at something inside um, so many yards, inside 10 yards, you're going to hit a man-sized target. Um, I, I don't know. I come back to... Um, Eric Graffel was asked once, Eric, what do you see when you're shooting a 25-yard target? My sights, uh, my front sight. What do you see when you shoot a three-yard target? My front sight. So I don't think it's slowing you down to look at your front sight. And what it is doing is increasing your uh, accuracy. So why not do it? You know, um, I don't see the advantage of not looking at my front sight. I understand that perhaps I don't have to look at my front sight to get hits. But if I can see the front sight, it doesn't slow me down. And I'm guaranteed to get better hits. Then why don't I just look at the front sight? I I, I know it can be done, but I don't buy into the fact that there's an advantage to not looking at my front sight. If I've got to look at my front sight to take shots at distance I don't want to forget to do that 
I don't want to get in the habit of, I don't have to look, it's inside 10 yards. Oh, I have to look, it's outside of 10 yards. Why don't I just look 100% of the time and see that front side 100% of the time? So, it's what you practice. Yeah. It is, Kelly, but yeah. one method is good for only targets up close. Uh-huh. The other method is good for targets from a meter to 100 meters. I challenge anybody to try and hit that plate that I hit at 100 yards without looking at the front sight. Good luck. Yeah, right? it'll be a little bit hard. Yeah, so I just think if you can, if you focus on the front sight for one distance, it's not going to slow you down to focus on the front side for all distances, and it's going to increase your accuracy. Correct. But that being said, I don't know. I and you know I haven't read the article. In fairness, and maybe my opinion will change after I read it. If there's something I can learn from it, I'm all for that. So I'll read it, and then who knows? Maybe my opinion will change. But I still am a real right now. I'm a real staunch believer in front sight all the time. It'd be interesting to do a test on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, even when, you know, in Mag 40, Masada, you called it a, uh, excuse me, a flash sight picture. You know, um, metal over meat. Just mm-hmm. just see see the gun in your peripheral vision between you and the target, and you're going to hit what you're aiming at. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, we don't want to sacrifice speed. We want to get the hits on target. And if we're trying to get a perfect sight pitcher, yes, then we're burning time on the clock, and that could be fatal. So get the gun up, see if see if a glimpse of a sight pitcher, and then start pressing. There's a balance, right? It doesn't. You can't expect to be a hard focus on the front sight in a gunfight when time is of the essence. So. Okay. Yep. So at this point, we actually had a interview with Daniel Shaw and Ryan Hoover, and we're going to insert it here. Joining us now for our main topic, we have Daniel Shaw and Ryan Hoover. Most of the listeners uh, are, are familiar with Daniel Shaw. He uh, formerly of Gunfighter Cast. Formerly, Daniel, what's I mean, uh, Mr. Ma- let's say rarely of rarely. Gunfighter Cast. <laughs> there you go. Is is Mr. McGregor still doing anything, or is he let it go, or what? Yeah, he's let it go too. Um, uh, I, I, I'm not going to say it's let go. It's just. It's on the shelf for now. You might see one or two this year, maybe. Perfect. All right. So for the listeners who don't, who, who don't know your background, Daniel, uh, former master instructor with the Marines. Yeah, well, I uh, still have that certificate, so I say it's still current. Um, okay. Yeah, you're no, still, I, you're, you're, yeah, clearly you're still a master instructor. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, no, I, I, the Marine Corps uh, did 16 years, started off in early retirement. I jumped all over it, started out training full-time out here in the civilian sector, and, uh, you know, just – Take my literally uh, from the time I was turned 17, a month after I turned 17, I joined the Marine Corps. So just take that life of training and learning, um, and continue to learn and you know put together the best stuff I possibly can off of everything I know and still learning for my students. And basically grew up in the Marines. Yep. Awesome. And um, so we we in Podcaster Land were introduced to you through the Gun Dudes. They were uh, one of the first to associate with you, I believe. Um, you were still in at that time. You were the Shah of Japan back then. Well, actually, I was in Virginia when I first started, and then uh, went to Japan and somehow became the Shah of Japan. I don't know how that works. Uh, <laughs> those guys are pretty funny in their nickname. Yeah, blame uh, Carl. Manufacturing. Yeah. 
And uh, since you've been out now, you're you, as you said, you're doing training on the uh, on the civilian side. Most recently, took over the uh, curriculum development, I believe, for Thunderbird Tactical. Yeah, uh, well, actually, we, we rebranded <laughs> Thunderbird Farms okay. Academy. Um, okay, good. The uh, I like that. Yeah, about two and a half years ago, I came out here to uh, to Wichita, Kansas, and now I'm the director of training here at Thunderbird Farms Academy. Uh, we currently have. Um, counting some small two-hour stuff, we have 36 classes that you know we've developed and put together. I say we, uh, me and my team, and uh, that team is growing because and it's people are really starting to understand that violence exists and they need training. And I got I've got handgun classes filled out to the middle of June. Uh, I've got rifle classes that fill up like three months in advance. Um, it's it's really taken off and done really good. And you know we give 100 percent and. Uh, uh, we're a learning organization, and we get better every time we do it. And that word spread, and you know, it's not too much work to get people in classes these days. And uh, really fortunate for that. And and that applies to both sides of the border. We've been fortunate enough to have you up here for Carbine Vitals uh, One and Carbine Vitals Two, or perhaps Carbine Vitals One and a Half and Ten Two and a Half. We <laughs> got uh, we really got after it in both those classes. And um, the guys are are chomping at the bit. We couldn't get down to see you this year, so I think we need to talk about something in October and possibly having you back up here again. We can talk about it, figure it out. Yep. Awesome. Okay, and uh, so joining us tonight is Ryan Hoover. So Ryan, uh, you're you're welcome to Slamfire Radio. Um, how do you know this guy? <laughs> um, so Daniel and I. I came on to with Funker Tactical about the same time. I think I came on maybe a month or two before Daniel. Um, we're both North Carolina boys, and just kind of through Funker Tactical, kind of hit it off. Um, we, we think very similarly uh, in, in our training methodologies, even though he's on the armed side and I'm on the unarmed side. Our approach to, to teaching and, and things is very similar. So. We kind of hit it off from from jump, and it's been you know pretty cool to, to to see what we've been able to put together. That's awesome. I totally forgot about the Funker Tactical side of things. Um, throw a plug in there for us, Ryan. Work in the uh, what what is Funker Tactical, and how can our listeners uh, find Funker Tactical? Good yeah, Funker Tactical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Funker Tactical is kind of. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, they, they produce content and basically they, they go out and find guys like Daniel and myself that, you know, maybe uh, are a little bit unique in our own industries and the way that we present our material and put things together. And they they come out and they, they film us doing our thing and, you know, they, they produce content. So they have a, a pretty large YouTube and Facebook following and um you know, I, I don't know, maybe there's half a dozen of us or so, something like that. Um, kind of hit a little bit of everything, armed, unarmed, knife, gun, you know, uh, self-defense, fighting, uh, a little bit of all, uh, anything kind of related to, to combat in one way or another. Yep. Awesome. Paulo, the uh, the president of Funker, he just, that's, that's kind of what his vision was and everything else is, let me find a lot of guys who are really, really good at what they do and, and uh, let's, you know, let them show what they're doing and just like, you know, Brian said, put out some some good high quality videos, content, and uh, and you know the, the the people are the content, and uh, Apollo does a really good job of capt- capturing that. Who yeah, else? Great Sorry about that, Ryan. Who else uh, would be associated with Funker Tactical that we may have heard of? Uh, Instructor Zero, uh, Doug Markaida, 
uh, Call Sign Six Six, uh, Fred Mastro. Um, God, I'm not missing anybody, am I? So just just no. amateurs. <laughs> I, I think you got yeah, and somehow me and Ryan are on the team. So, so basically, uh, basically just a, a group of amateur enthusiasts that like to play on YouTube. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. it. We're, yeah, we're a bunch of YouTubers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it. Just trying to get a buck off the gun community. And, and Ryan tries to get a buck off the, the boxing glove community, you know, the industry. Yep. Awesome. Well, all right, gentlemen. Why don't we uh, Why don't we move into uh, why we're all together this evening and uh, start telling us a little bit about the ActiveKillerDefense.com website initiative movement. What What is this all about? So I, I'll start, but um, I'm going to hand it over to Ryan really quick because Ryan started this um, in its unarmed form. You know, educating. You know, geared after really campuses, and that's you know the higher education and you know K through 12, all that. And um, you know, Ryan, he put this together. Ryan, he won't tell you much about himself. Uh, you can Google him and look him up. But he's developed a lot of curriculum for law enforcement agencies at the state level, like what everybody's using and what is the uh, signed off on. This is what they're teaching at the academy. Uh, a lot of stuff for some you know, special forces, all kind of stuff. You know, Ryan's he's been in the game a long time. Uh, published multiple times, um, and Ryan, tell us how we uh, basically how it got started, man. For on your side, and then whenever I came in, kind of thing, I guess be the best way yep. to explain it. Yep. So, in terms of techniques and tactics, I mean, these are things that we've been teaching for a long time. But after the shooting and at Sandy Hook, um, I kind of got pissed off. I, you know, I was to the point where I just I, I couldn't I, I couldn't in good conscience continue to see these kinds of things and not do something about it. So about three years ago, I started looking into what most schools were doing for lockdown procedures. And then I got more pissed off because they're terrible. You know, the, the, the basic protocols that most schools follow for an intruder in the building are really, really bad. And I have two kids and I have two kids in public schools. And I, I just, I, I couldn't, sit back with, with a set of skills and, and not try to make some changes. So when I first started, no school on the planet would talk to me. All right. they, 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 wouldn't, they wouldn't give me a sit down. They wouldn't give me a phone call, nothing. So I started speaking, going straight to the speaking as someone Speaking as someone, Ryan, who works within that system, I, yep. am, I am sadly not surprised. Disappointed, yep. but not surprised. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and it was universal, you know. Yeah. Um, so what I did was two things. I started going straight to the media. Um, and in conjunction with that, I started offering free seminars to anybody that worked in the school system. So I would use my training centers or I would go to a boys and girls club or something like that. And I would promote any way that I could through the media, through social media and say, look, if you work in a school system, I'll train you for free. And we we actually offered up some free memberships at our training centers as well if they if you worked in a school system. And so we got a little bit of traction there because the teachers wanted the training. Even if they couldn't get administrators to sign on, the teachers wanted it. The teachers knew. Um, and, and we the ones that were skeptical with the demonstrations that we did, um, if you haven't seen it, you can check out the Blaze TV uh episode and, and see the demonstration. It's, it's, it's pretty startling. And so we got some traction there, but you know, truthfully it, it was still a teacher here, a teacher there kind of thing. And had a couple of private schools and charter schools, um, 
decide to bring us in. And I, I've got one private school that we train twice a year. Um, everybody that works in the building, um, from front desk to janitor to if you work in the building, you get trained. And just in the last, really since the the shootings in San Bernardino, um, things have really picked up in terms of interest. Um, I've got a couple of big school districts that we're talking to now. And with that, you know, more and more people that are engaging are also wanting to know more on the armed side of things. So when we're talking about neutralizing a shooter with unarmed tactics, um, if we look at a situation like San Bernardino, well, if I take one out and there's another one still there, well, I can take the gun from the one that I took out and use that. So that's definitely not my in my lane. So that's where Shaw comes in. You know, I I, I needed somebody that I knew, um, somebody that I trusted, somebody that knew knew his stuff and that thought similarly in terms of of dealing with these kinds of of threats. Um, so I, I I went up and spent three days with Shaw and, and at Thunderbird, and here we are. Yeah, and, you know, we've been talking about it for a while, and it's not just that we think similarly about it, but we're both open to information, and we're, neither one of us are so dead into our, our curriculum and what we teach that we, we can't change it at any time when new information becomes available. So, you know, yeah. the way we both operate, you know, I, we can we, – as we see more data and get more data and learn more, you know, we're going to evolve, and the course is going to evolve, and, and we're going we're gonna to make it the best thing that's out there for uh, – for active shooter defense, uh, it already is um, from anything that I've seen, um, and we're going to keep that going. So, yeah, we've been talking about it for a few months before this happened, and uh, it was just kind of a, a case of timing. We had I'd watched a little bit of his in, in Vegas um, when we we're at a shot show. He did one of the seminars. Um, his is typically a three to four hour format, and um, we had an active killer, active killer here in uh, right outside of Wichita, and. I was. I heard about it, and I actually went to a concert that night with the wife and kid, and I uh, was texting them like all night during the concert. And basically, I was like, "Buy a plane ticket," and uh, he was like, "All right, I'm getting a plane ticket." And uh, we've been working all day, every day straight for um, what uh, a week and a half now, a little bit over, something like that. Yeah, almost two weeks. Yep. And uh, we've really put together a really good package, and we've got a first instructor development happening in two weeks and it's uh and it's like ryan said you know we're, we're covering the unarmed stuff you know gross motor stuff that you can learn we look at a lot of these guys who are going into schools and hurting kids and doing things uh we're, we're looking at like harrison klebold type kids you know adam lanza uh guys that you trevor would break in half you know uh these are skinny little dweebs now they're not all that way i mean you got your your uh, some of these active shooters are big and pretty tough to take down um uh, but in a lot of cases it's not like they're fighting some uh superhero you know that's that just that can't be beaten and uh they're humans and they're vulnerable and we're going to exploit those vulnerabilities and we talk about where those vulnerabilities are uh, with a little bit of access control and avenue of approaches and some things like that and uh we, we try to get it's Something a heck of a lot better than going and dying in a corner while you're praying. Hmm. You know? It's a little bit. It's a little bit different than some of the training I've taken with names like nonviolent crisis intervention. <laughs> right. I, I mean, we 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 learned some uh, joint manipulation and and locks and two person carries and stuff like that. But this certainly puts you more on the offensive than the than the defense. Um, now, are you starting off gearing this solely? to the uh, public education or education sector 
or are you going to be doing um, private corporations, businesses? Because active shooters or active killer, uh, they don't they don't limit themselves just to the education system. Yeah, all all of the above. Um, you know, we're really going after primarily focused on the individuals a lot right now um, because the individuals and, and, you know, Ryan's working on some schools and whenever uh, probably here in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to start working on some schools here in Wichita and some corporations. And biz- I've already got contact with a lot of businesses who are really excited about it uh, in Wichita, Oklahoma, Texas, you know, they're, um, and I'm going to start working those, but it's really to get it into a school system. I think in a lot of cases, we're going to have to reach individuals first. Um, and let them buy in. Let them see that wow, this is this is really different, and this is this can ha- this can work, and it's not far fetched and something that we can't do. This is something that we can do, and it's a, a good viable option. And at least we have an option, and uh, it just makes sense. And we're right now we're working on building instructors because Ryan and I can't teach every one of them. We can't do it all the time. We want every business, every individual that will that is of a defensive mind. To understand what we're doing and be an impact on everybody around them. If we can have one person in every business in the next five years who has this training, or every large business, uh, uh, we can start getting you know school districts involved across the country. And we have we have a lot of little mini Ryan's and Daniels running around instructors that are going to these schools and they're they're saying, hey, we can come in and do this. And then they teach them. You know, every every person we reach, and then every corporation we reach, and every school we reach, we're making the country a safer place. And it's really what it is absolutely so you're at the stage now where you want to develop more instructors to work with the company here to deliver to deliver the curriculum breaking into the school system is going to be a challenge um if the american side is anything like the canadian side they very rarely like to step outside of their own little safety net and access outside resources they usually develop everything within house but this is not their area of specialty and so it is reality. There are shootings on both sides of the border, and uh, hopefully, we'll see you guys expand up north at some point. Yeah. Um, no, I, you know, our model is to reach as many people as we can with the information and the skills and the knowledge. Um, and we left out an important part too. Uh, we're covering hemorrhage control. We're not talking about American Red Cross like airway, breathing, and circulation. I don't care about that i don't care about checking our way and did are you doing two did you do this many compressions per minute did you do this like that doesn't matter uh or your how many rescue breaths to every five compressions whatever um who cares we want to keep blood in the body because that's why people are dying and after the incidents occurred and maybe the bad guy's down police are clearing the entire scene people are bleeding to death uh there's only one person there whenever your friend's bleeding and the ems can't get in there right then that can save that person's life and that's you Nobody right. else. Yeah. So we're going to give them the skills and the knowledge to do that. It's a practical application. This whole class is—it's not exhaustive. It's not going to—you're not going to take this sign, pay 150 bucks, and take an eight-hour class. And now, like, I'm super awesome ninja, unarmed guy, and I can shoot people in the face at 25 yards with a hostage, um, and I can also, you know, do open heart surgery. Not—not not, doesn't work that way. But it's going to—the class is designed to inspire each individual that you need more training. Whether you think you're good with a gun and you think you're good unarmed. Here's some things you need to think about that you're probably not considering right now. And we want to inspire people to go get more training in whatever region that they're in. So what's a training class going to look like? Um, We're talking about training everyone in the building from the custodian to the secretary to the principal to the phys ed teacher. Um, Do you you go to the school and you train everybody there at the school? Do they come to you? And what what are they? So in the run, is it a one day? 
uh, eight hours. And yes. okay, so in, so in an eight-hour day, what am I going to learn? Walk me through it. You know, with Brian, do you want to cover your part? I'll cover mine. Yeah. So uh, with my part, we're gonna we're gonna start um, right from jump with a functional warm up, getting people moving and and understanding kind of a little bit of the, the chaos that's gonna inevitably come with, with an event like this. We move from there and we start le- learning some basic strikes, combatives, uh, palm heel strikes, uh, hammer fists, elbows, um, stomps, those kinds of things. From there. We run a couple of different drills. We're going to learn how to tackle a gun, a gunman or a knifer or whatever, whatever the killer is. Um, more drills, more chaos. Um, and then we're going to look at team tackles as well. Um, lots of drills. It's a lot of, of creating chaos and, and understanding that when everybody else is running away from shots fired, you're going to be running too. And that's not going to be easy. And then just getting pe- giving people permission to go do something. So for me, my, my, my part's relatively simple. It's it's very gross motor, go get them, you know. And we talk about basic tactics and, you know, the whole run-hide-fight model is fine. But where we come in is the fight part of it because that's what people aren't teaching in that model. Everybody knows how to run. Everybody knows how to hide, but not everybody knows how to fight. So when we get to the arm part, his part supports it because some of his uh, – whenever you're taking somebody out, putting somebody down um, – you may have to. Uh, you got another firearm there, and generally they don't. They carry more than one firearm. We see in most uh, active shooter events, they don't just have one gun; they have multiple. Uh, and if we have more than one bad guy there, then um, you know somebody may become armed. So the idea here is with the arm side, you may already have some training in firearms, already know the handgun a little bit, know how the gun works, and you go shoot on a regular basis. Maybe you're even a competitor. There are things in this that put it more in contact with the reality we see in active shooters, the chaos, the, the people running, the, the, clear, the foregrounds becoming unclear and the backgrounds becoming unclear, not having good backstops. You know, a lot of things that are, we talk a lot about geometry, uh, geometry of your fires. What can I do to get to a more dominant position that's one, more survivable for me, but it's also survivable for the people in the foreground and the background and the people that may move into the foreground or move into the background. Um, basically, we're covering a lot of uh, – some movement with the gun, uh, ready positions to support movement and articulating the environment, moving people around you, opening doors, closing doors, uh, those kind of things. Uh, and then just basic firearm safety that is not just range safety but life safety. Because a lot of these folks, there may be training, people that are trained with firearms there, um, but a lot of them may not have anything about a gun. How do I secure a gun? Uh, how can I make uh, the AR-15 in your picture, Trevor? How do I make that where can I place my hand when I grab that? So if they do get off one shot, it's not going to work a second time without having you know conduct a clearance of that stoppage. Uh, how can I make this handgun not work after the next shot, depending on how I grab that handgun? So they're going to get an understanding of how firearms work, um, an understanding of how to use the firearm. Uh, it's not a class that after you get you know my part in the firearms that you're ready to go uh, strap a gun on your holster and your on your body and, and go carry it in your classroom. Um, it is the foundation for that. Uh, they need to go get more follow-on training there. And, you know, we're going to find ways to get that to them as well. It's not for me, just whatever region they're in, we'll find good, reputable firearms trainers in there to send them to. Um, then we do some medical side, just hemorrhage control. We're talking about uh, use of tourniquets uh, and packing wounds with hemostatic agents or white and fluffy, whatever they have available, and we're going to make that available to them as well, uh, medical kits. Um, and that way we have a defense for unarmed we have a defense if we become armed, become armed and how that can really make us a force multiplier if we have a firearm and protect people. Uh, and then also 
uh, when people are bleeding in these events, you know, we can control that bleeding and, and it's going to save lives outside of an active shooter. This training is, you know, every bit of it, a home invasion, anything you can think of. And then if it's just a, a medical, an isolated medical incident where someone's, uh, has massive bleeding, you know, you're going to know how to deal with that. You know, like right now, if I walked into any school and I had, I set up, we were thinking about doing this and I set up a kit, a, a bleeding kit that bleeds out of a leg with a pump. And I say, Picture somebody in your classroom. Picture one of your students. Get their name in your mind. Picture their face right now. And then I pull this bag away, and they see that there's squirting blood, like massive bleeding out of a moral artery. Fix that. Fix, oh, I'm, uh, fix, yeah. Fix Johnny right now. Yeah, I'm on it. it. His life it's depends best. on you packing that wound and making him stop bleeding. What are you going to do? And I, they're, gonna, they're not going to do anything. And I'm gonna, we're going to show them how to do that, how to save him. And it's not difficult. No, but uh, it's like anything else. Until you know how to do it, it can be a little intimidating. But that's why you set up the context um, so that you can learn to do it in a safe environment where, where poor little Johnny's actually not going to bleed out. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. The may, may, part of the day is we bring it all together, right? Yeah. So we, we, we transition from armed or unarmed to armed and, and dealing with the, the injuries and whatever. So that last hour of this eight hours is uh, they, they get a chance to, to feel, you know, as close as we can in, in, in an eight hour course, what it might be like to be in an event like that. It's multiple events, putting it together, uh, the striking, the taking down, the disarming, the use of the firearm. The, uh, it's not a live fire class in any way. Uh, and then they're, they're conducting triage. You know, and then they're they're keeping people alive till armed people or the police respond. So then, so the first step is you're actively seeking instructors from across the U.S. Correct? Yes. And yes. you have a number in mind. You know, we started out with a number, and now we we don't. You know, it's okay. we've gotten we probably average four people. We had to put a thing on the website if you want information about becoming an instructor. Uh, we probably get four a day here for the last three days asking, you know, what they need to do, um, to become an instructor. And, you know, we, we want to be really selective of who's doing it. We want to make sure they're doing the right thing. Uh, not somebody adding in their own stuff that maybe is not accurate. If it's good, then I want to hear it because if it makes sense and we can prove it, then yeah. Um, but you want to make sure that we're, we're doing the right thing, especially here early on, um, and, and make sure things are happening you know, we're able to control them. And then when we're able to control that, we have a good system in place and then we'll grow it. We're, we're not looking to, to grow crazy, crazy fast. We want to grow in a, in a way that we can make sure that every single class, no matter whether if it's taught in, in Riverside, California or Charlotte, North Carolina, it is the exact same high quality class. And the students deserve that. Well, that's it. It's kind of, um, I'll use the analogy of Masada U group instructors, right? They uh, they have to prove that they can perform on demand what they're expected to teach, and when they go out and teach it, they teach it the Masada U group way, not their own way. They don't bring in their own stuff. So I totally see and appreciate that you're going for that kind of thing. You want competent instructors that are going to teach the agreed upon curriculum and not get out there because they're not under your supervision and do bring in their own thing. Um, what kind of um, qualifications are you looking for? How does one become an instructor with ActiveKillerDefense.com? You know, one of the biggest things uh, for Ryan and I both is uh, a person of high moral character that that actually cares about their students, man. That 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 cares about this information and wants to help save lives. You know, 
some people want to be a firearms instructor because they think it's sexy to stand on a range and film their video and put it on Instagram or whatever else. Um, man, there's there's some days that it, it just wears me out, the stress level and everything else. And some days I'm like, oh, I got to go answer the same question I get every time again. You know, it, it's not the easiest job ever. It really isn't. So there's a certain kind of person. We, I, I don't want. We and Ryan doesn't. We don't want anybody who's who's not just one. 100% all the time and not bought in to the idea that this is going to save lives and we're going to make sure that everybody who gets this training is getting the best training ever. So a, a person of high character uh, is more important than anything else. Uh, it, they, they need to have um, – most people that have a little bit of firearms training have a little bit of unarmed training. I wouldn't say a lot. Uh, people that I that I, I know of. Um, the most folks that are training firearms have a little background in unarmed. Uh, it, the same is not exactly the same across the uh, the unarmed side, but there are quite a few unarmed guys who have some some good firearms knowledge as well. So we're really at going after guys that have those two skill sets or enough of the two that we can work with for what we're teaching. So I, I know all, all the strikes that, that Ryan teaches. I can teach this class you know, right now. Uh, I know what we're doing. But if a question's asked about a really deep question about why this and not that, why this technique instead of this technique that such and such came up with whenever he was training in whatever and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Ryan knows that stuff. I don't. When someone asks Ryan about uh, this firearm technique or whatever, Ryan needs to know my answer or what what I know in that area. So that's one thing we we'll work really hard with the guys and communicate with them to make sure we don't just have the knowledge. Somebody who's acceptable or susceptible to, to the information to where, I, okay, this is what I got to say at this time. I read this from the PowerPoint, then I say that. That's not the kind of instructor we want. We want the person who is questioning the curriculum, questioning what we're doing, that is looking deeper into it and not just getting the face value stuff, but actually getting all the answers that lay beneath uh, for the students because those, that's what happens when you get in front of students. Um, you can have the best plan ever, and then that plan gets better the fifth time you teach the class. And you got to know – got to have a good intimate knowledge of the material, and uh, we need guys that are ready to do that. So having the background in those techniques, uh, firearms and unarmed, is, is definitely important. Um, yeah, and, and one of the things that, that we have working for us is with my organization, we, we have uh, 25 affiliate training centers around the world. And so that that's a kind of a well that we can draw from right from the beginning. Um, so I know these people. I know how they train. I know how they how they are as human beings. I know if they have farm, firearms uh, experience or not. And our, our selection process there is similar to what Daniel was just talking about. For every one affiliate we take in, we turn down eight. So um, the, the guys that, that I have now are guys that, you know, I, I feel really good about. And for every affiliate, you know, they may have another two to six instructors with them. So we have a good base that we can kind of draw from and build from right from from go and then you know with everybody that daniel knows on the the firearm side of things um i i think we can build a pretty solid team without even really going out and soliciting too too much um we've been fortunate like daniel was talking about though that we've already had a lot of people reach out and want to be a part of this which i think is awesome which by the way trevor you said something about north of the border um in the past two days i've had contacts from six different people in toronto alone well, wow. uh, yeah, I was going to work in that direction, find out what kind of uh, presence was, was in Canada. Well, we have to make sure and do whatever we need to do to make sure ITAR is satisfied and we're, we're within regulations. Uh, but we're willing to do that and whatever that needs to be. And 
from the people that you know and the people that I've trained with up there with you guys, um, I could think of a couple of names of guys who would uh, who would probably do really, really well in this program. You know, teaching it if mm-hmm. if they were interested. Uh, well, I know I certainly would be. I don't know if I have what it takes, mind you, but it would uh, it would something I, I certainly believe in, and it would keep me in the education field. So if something comes into Canada, I definitely want to talk. Um, so any upcoming classes stateside that uh, that you two are going to be doing? Yeah, we have two in my training center in Charlotte, North Carolina, coming up. Um, two uh, instructor development courses. Courses, one in March, one in May, and two open public uh, seminars during those same times. Um, and, you know, we're, we're already adding more. I'll be doing Charleston, South Carolina probably um, next month. And I think Daniel's going to put Kansas on the books for probably June for, or July. For, and That'll be another instructor development. will be June or July in Kansas. Um, I'm probably going to put uh, our first uh, open enrollment one uh, toward the end of April. Uh, here in Wichita. Hmm. I'm here in Chicago right now. I'll be doing um, a mini version of it this weekend. Uh, I'm teaching an instructor course for Krav Maga while I'm here. And then Saturday, I'm teaching just a three-hour kind of introduction to the unarmed side of of this program while I'm here. And for the instructor development courses that you're putting on, are these closed classes for the individuals that you have selected to work with you? Yes. Okay. Awesome. That those are right now in a three-day format. Uh, they'll come in for three days, and uh, going to have a really busy three days. Excellent. Yeah, over a lot of stuff in three days, and then they'll get to see what an actual eight-hour class is like. That they will go back and teach, assuming that they successfully complete the course. Neat. Well, is there anything else that you guys want to mention or tell us about that I may have forgotten to bring up? Yeah, you can uh, you can check out more at, at uh, activekillerdefense.com. Um, you know, we we went back and forth forever on a name for this, and we, we went with Active Killer Defense uh, because you know this the same techniques and what we're doing applies to you don't have to have a gun. It doesn't have to be a mm-hmm. shooter. It can mm-hmm. be anybody trying to do that, violence with whatever you know item they have, uh, and and this works. And uh, so activekillerdefense.com. Um, you can check out a lot of stuff that's been on the Blaze for the record. Uh, Funker, we got a video up there that for Ryan's part, um, and us talking about it a little bit during it. And uh, we 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 were like launch day plus seven right now uh, since we launched this, and uh, it's it's been incredible uh, how much it's grown. And that I I stayed up all night and made a website one night. Um, it looks good, by the way. I was checking it out. <laughs> we did. We did. Uh, we have done. We and a bunch of other people, Ryan's affiliates, and people have been putting their hands in and helping all over the place, uh, really growing everything. And uh, it, it's. I love it because you know I I, I consider myself a, a, a guy who does stuff. You know, a, a doer, a go getter, and uh, it's really awesome being a part of a team that I don't have to do everything. You know, like like hey, we got. To get this, this, and that, and then uh, 45 minutes later, I get a message: Hey, this, this, and that's done. What's next? You know, and and uh, I'm working on stuff on my end, and uh, it's it's doing it's it's going so fast and uh, growing so quick that uh, and man, it was uh, it was it was really it, it's it's awesome where it's going. I cannot wait to see this in a year and how many lives we've reached in a year. You know, it's it's going to be great. We're going to stay with it. Awesome, yeah, for sure. I'm pretty excited about it. I appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to us. Oh, Ryan, the pleasure is all ours, and um, we're looking forward to having you back on in six months to a year for an update. 
to see how this thing has grown. Whatever we can do to help promote this, activekillerdefense.com. I mean, we, we as a gun community have to get the word out there that you guys have put something together that will actually make a difference because as you said at the top, Ryan, some of the lockdown procedures that schools have, uh, I think are detrimental and will probably do more harm than good. And it's time to, it was a knee jerk reaction. They had to put something in place and like most knee jerk things, they put something in place for the sake of putting it in place. It doesn't have to be effective. We just have to tell the public that we're doing something and that's and that's how we got stuck with what, with the current model which I believe is ineffective. So I'm as a teacher who works in the public school system, I, I'm really excited to see you guys put together something that's actually meaningful and effective. And it's my dream that it'll it'll make its way to Canada and that uh, oh, well, we'll, we'll buy in. We'll make it make its way to Canada. Don't worry about that, Trevor. Uh, yeah, people who want to follow it and know what's going on and know if there's going to be a class in their area, it'll all be up there. I mean, we've got a few classes up on, on activekillerdefense.com right now. Uh, but at the bottom of the, the homepage, or really any page, rather, um, there is a email sign-up at the bottom of it. That's the best way to do it, as you'll see. Is we'll send you messages as we're adding Done. new classes. Yeah. And uh, that'll be the best way to know. Uh, within the next six months, we... We should be in. It would be surprised if, surprising if we weren't in ten different states down here, uh, yeah, if not more. Well, once you get buy-in from some school districts, and um, th- like if if in Canada, if one province, because education is run by the provinces, and uh, they've got the the uh, the, the um, Department of Education. And then they tell the districts what to do and the districts tell the schools what to do. If we could just get one province to buy in and, you know, New Brunswick could say to Alberta, hey, you know, our Department of Education, check these guys out and they're legit. It's the real deal and it is effective and it will work. It'll make your schools a safer place. Just takes one, one Department of Education to buy in and then that kind of thing will spread. It's to crack crack that wall in in the beginning, but one. Once you're in and accepted by one, then you're accepted by all. So, Adriel or Kelly, do you have anything for Ryan or Daniel before we uh, cut them loose? No, I think it was well covered, guys. Yeah. I just awesome. wanted to mention mention something. Uh, actually, in Belleville today, there was uh, somebody who went into the school, shot something in the school. They locked it down. And then they uh, actually, the person went and held up a bank about 15, 20 minutes later. So are you seeing that down there? Were they diverting police? I, I, it's just something. No, I don't know. Oh, I, I don't see what you're saying, Kelly. Yeah. It was some, yeah, one no, thing. was we're seeing, but, I, you know, I, I, I can see that as being an issue. I mean, yeah. I, I do think that we have seen um, on occasion where somebody would call in like a bomb threat to a school and mm-hmm. then draw police there. So and then they go rob the bank. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, fortunately, nothing happened. Nobody was injured. Uh, but yeah, they think it was the same guy. Hmm. Wow. Uh, yeah. But you never. I mean, you got like this Uber driver that was yep. pick, picking up fares between shooting people. You know, it's man. This is some people would call it fear mongering, but it's kind of the world we live in. You know, I, I I go back to my same analogy that I'd use all the time about smoke detectors and fire extinguishers. Man, we got to have skills and knowledge in our head to stop massive bleeding and stop evil. You know, we got to have that. And if not, we're not safe. No. Puppy dog yeah. tails and fairy dust ain't going to do it. No, a little knowledge goes a long way here. You know, we got all the millennials 
sorry, millennials, if you're listening, <laughs> that, are like, that are like, no, I just need a safe place. I'm like, well, you know what? I do too. That's why everywhere I go, it's safe percentage goes up drastically every, when I step in the door. You know, that's yep. the way I look at it because I, yep. I constantly am training to make myself – help myself live a safer life and my students live a safer life and my family have a safer life. And I'll create a safe place or at least make that's it right. safe. And, and that's make, the only variable that we can control. Daniel, you need to get that on a T-shirt. I make places safer. I, I have considered it. Don't, don't steal my idea. <laughs> I, that I actually have thought about <laughs> Perfect. a T-shirt. Ryan, any uh, final thoughts? No, I think we're good. I really appreciate it, guys. Yeah, thanks oh, a lot, Trevor. Pleasure. All right. We'll talk again soon, guys. Thanks. Okay. Right, thanks. Take, care. take care. Thanks. Bye. Thank you again once again. And uh, about act. So let's get into some listener feedback, you guys. Uh, we had one from Matt. Uh, Adriel, do you want to read that one? You bet. Yeah. Hi, guys. Listening to your last show, a question came to mind about reloading, but first a bit of context. My typical process for developing a load for my 308 or 22250 usually goes something like this. Choose a bullet according to use, prep brass and primer, load different powder weights and seat bullets at the recommended seating depth. Then I shoot three of five or three or five of each to find the sweet spot. At this point, I reload smaller increments of powder weights and repeat the process to find the best load area. Preaching to the choir here, I know. Here's my question. At which point in the load development process do you start playing with seating depths and other parameters like deburring the primer pockets, uh, uniforming flash holes, adding unicorn dust, etc.? Which of these parameters will uh, great, more greatly affect accuracy? Two thumbs up. I never hesitate to recommend the show. Shoot safe. Shoot alphas. Uh, Matt Doucette. Uh, P.S. Got the Volkortsen takedown rifle in 22 LR. It's the best. Communism, I think not. <laughs> Awesome. Um, I'll grab a couple of these, uh, Adriel. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, for one, when do you start doing things like, uh, I do what you do, first of all, Matt, up to that, trying to find that sweet spot. I pick a standard length and um, play with powder charges until I find that, you know, a.k.a. sweet spot. Uh, I do exactly what you're describing there. At what point in the load development do you start to uh, playing with things like seating depth and other parameters like deburring the primer pockets and uniforming flash holes? Deburring the primer pockets and, and um, uniforming flash holes should be done first before playing with powder charges, before playing with seating depth, because it's something that you can control. It's a variable that is duplicatable. That's a word. And they, they are right. I do speak my own language on this show, don't I? Anyway, um, <laughs> It is a variable that you can control for immediately before you even throw any powder into the case. Make all your primer pockets uniformed throughout the entire batch of brass that you're using and deburr all of your primer or all of your flash holes. You uniform your flash holes, deburr your primer pockets, whatever way you want to you want to do, talk describe it, whatever. Um, make it part of your brass prep so that all your brass is the same. Adriel? I'll I'll provide counterpoint here. Um, for me, I'm with my reloads. I am aiming for in a, in a really good rifle, uh, half MOA to three quarters MOA accuracy, and that's all I'm going for. Uh, any any more, and I can't really use it all that much because I'm I'm the bigger variable. Uh, so I don't uniform the uh, uh, sorry I don't deburr the primer holes. I do uniform my primer pockets simply because I have like a, a station that. Uh, uniforms the primer pockets and uh, reams out the crimp if there is a crimp and scrapes them out I think um, but I don't I don't go any uh, any further beyond 
beyond that, I don't deburr, I don't uniform the flash holes. If I'm getting really crazy, I'll outside turn the neck, and that's just in my 308, and that's just because it's got kind of a tight chamber and uh, and it can use it. Um, oh, let's see here. What other unicorn dust? Do you weigh your cases, Trevor? Um, I don't. Uh, I I did talk to the guys over at the Reloading Podcast once about um, case capacity, like the volume, mm-hmm. um, by doing the water trick um, so that I could try and match my brass that way. And I'm not making match quality ammo. Uh, we will do a show in the future. We'll have Andy back on and maybe mm-hmm. somebody from the Reloading Podcast to talk about rolling up match ammo, and then we could get into those finer points. Um, but what I do do is I make sure that all of my brass is at least the same head stamp for my bolt yeah. action rifle. So all Lapua and all Winchester. Yeah. I don't yeah. bother to to weigh it. Uh, but yes, weighing your brass and checking the internal case volume is something else that you could do. Um, I would certainly uniform the primer pockets and deburr the flash holes, though. That's an easy step that any rifle, any shooter can benefit from. It's just something easy to do that all of your cases will benefit from. It's super easy. Now, as far as seating depths, I haven't gotten there yet. I uh, load my 308 to 2.8, and that's it. I haven't decided to run them out longer, which will lower the the lower the pressure, or shorten them up, which will increase the pressure. I haven't done that yet to see. Um, there are things you can do to find out, you know, where how long you can run your bullet before it contacts the lands and grooves. I was told to run 10 thou off the lands and grooves. On that particular rifle by the guy who built it, I've never gotten around to actually trying that yet. So, so that part I, I have done, um, and that's because uh, on some rifles you can run right to to mag length uh, if you're running a magazine, and then and you're you're still not uh, hitting the lands, so you might as well run them as long as humanly possible and still have a little bit of wiggle room left in the magazine. You don't want them like you don't want the tip like dragging on the front of the magazine or anything like that. Um, but but there are some other rifles out there that won't let you do it because the chamber is tighter. And mm-hmm. uh, on those ones, that's where you can start messing around with that. And I think that is important because you do need um, you need a little bit of wiggle room so you're not right up against the lands. Because if you're running them right up against the lands, sometimes you'll run them like right into them, unless that's what you're going for, right? If you're just trying to make like accurate ammo that uh, that'll work in your rifle uh, most of the time, because keep keep in mind. Most of my rifles, while they're target rifles as well, um, a lot of them I'm trying to hunt, hunt with. So mm-hmm. I can't have something that uh, is going to ram 10,000 into the lands and make it really hard to chamber. I need something that's going to work when I when I chamber it mm. and, 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 and still be accurate, right? And there's variance between rifles of the same caliber. I had some of my test loads with me for my 223 on the weekend, mm-hmm. and I wanted to uh, have... Um, Fred tries some in his axis. He's got this really cool heavy-barreled axis. So he takes one of my rounds that will chamber in my Thompson Center Venture Predator, which is magazine-fed, and it wouldn't chamber in his gun. He had to force the bolt closed, um, and I mean force, and then he fired it, and then it was a hammer involved at some point. I was busy doing my own thing and looking out of the corner of my eye. There's Fred with a hammer banging on the bolt of his axis to either get it open or closed. Um, Yeah. 
uh, yeah, I don't it will, know. It will be. I've 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 done the same thing. If you're if it's a hard chamber, it's it's it. You might run into overpressure, and that's when you're going to start seeing pop primers and uh, and that kind of thing. Keep in mind. So there's there's some loads that you can do that with, and some people will run them hard into the lands. But with with most rifles out there, if you just take a uh, a round that you made for your rifle where you had a little bit more free bore to play with, and then someone uh, puts it in their bolt where they don't. You are gonna. You're that. That's why he had that hammer out, probably to to bang it open. Yeah. So then Matt says, which of these parameters will greater affect accuracy? I'm gonna say that after you've determined the proper bullet weight. So let's say your 308 likes 168 more than 165 or 180. Let's say after that, I think it's powder charge. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. I agree. Cool. All right. So we have a couple of emails. I think Doug's probably the same guy. Doug in Nova Scotia? What do you yeah. mean same guy? There were two Dugs here. There's two Dugs. Oh, yeah. so you I'm think we have from a yeah. different Doug? Okay. One of, them, one of them said he was Doug in Nova Scotia. The other one didn't <laughs> delineate, so they could be from anywhere. All right, I'll take Nova <laughs> Scotia Doug. Okay. Nova Scotia Doug says, hey, Slamfire crew. Just wanted to say thank – I just wanted to thank Trevor for being that guy, air quotes, who buys and sells guns more often than most people buy groceries. You're welcome. <laughs> Because with that, it is easy to tell which guns are decent and which ones suck. And that brings me to the FN FNS9 long slide. I was browsing an online store looking at the pricing for Breda 92s when I saw an FNS9 long slide that Trevor keeps raving about. What really caught my eye was the price, 650 bucks. So with the help of Google, I shopped around and found a store selling them new for 599 now I know that's really 600 but damn, 599 looks cheap. So I bought it. Trevor, you'll be happy to know it will be replacing my Tokarev T33 and a 1911 GI model. Yep, I am indeed happy. You've definitely traded up. I will be selling those to pay off my credit card. Well, I hope you don't have a, a big balance on your credit card. <laughs> Been a long-time listener since the CRR days, and the show keeps getting better with age, unlike me. Uh, keep up the great work, guys, and bring Kelly on more. Doug in Nova Scotia. See, Kelly? The listeners yeah. are demanding it. <laughs> all Kelly all the time up in here now, Doug. Yeah. So. Uh, well, I'm on tonight. Yes, you are. So, we don't know if this he's talking about the F and So, here it is. <laughs> it says, <laughs> guys, uh, you were talking about holes, and I thought I when I got uh, for my FNS slide. Woo-hoo. Yeah. When I got the FNS, I had a hard time finding anything other than the crap on, which I did only, which I did try and only used once. I heard Sticks and Toby talking about, Sticks and Toby are from um, the Arms Project, who don't know. Anyways, um, talking about Consolution and the service they received a while back, Arms Squirrels. Uh, so I gave it a try. I'm happy with it, and it does everything needed. at this. Just thought I would add it to your list. So he left a, um, the www.tagons.com backslash sidewinder as a side one. As always, great show and two thumbs up. Doug. That's four thumbs tonight. Um, yeah, Doug, I love the Concealment Solutions stuff. I've got a Concealment Solutions belt on right now. Uh, I've got a inside the waistband black mamba for my Glock and an outside the waistband sidewinder for my Glock. Big fan. Okay. Yeah, should have bought uh, FN stock before you started talking about this like a month ago. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't think all I... Of a sudden, sorry? You know, all of a sudden, there's a run on FNS. Uh, in every uh, you know what we should have done is is buy a whole bunch of holsters first and then start selling them online. No, you, you know go. what you should have done? You should have bought more mags. Mm, yeah. All of yeah. the above. Oh, I thought I lost one. I was losing my mind. 
uh, all my mags are numbered and I came home from Fredericton or I made it to Matthews and I was short one mag. I was like, oh my God, how could I? Anyway, it's loaded with hollow points in my gun safe. I didn't take it with me because it's the one I keep for my four inch. Yep. <sighs> anyway, anyway yeah. Way. We should actually go back at all the correspondence, both emailed to the show and PMs we received on our Facebook page and take a tally. Like I think probably this show has been responsible for selling almost eight FNs. It's got to be. I mean, one guy bought two. There's, anyway, I'm not going to start ram- rambling them off, but a lot of FNs have been bought this winter. You have a lot of them. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, from James, uh, if you're reloading on the... <laughs> so if you're reloading on the... You have two options. Powder charge. Try charging and 1K. Right. Go ahead. Try charging 1K if the powder is causing uh, uh, to maybe possible that the pressure on the brass uh, to actuate the um, powder drop is doing something to the brass. It hmm. may also be possible that there is a donut forming on the neck of the shoulder junction that comes to play and the bullet is seen, and that's from Adam. Thanks, James. Um, I think it's the very last thing you said about the donut. Like donuts. Um, <laughs> because I have taken a piece of brass and I've run it through the press and worked it through every station except seating a bullet. Like I've, I've, I've put it through that station, but I just didn't seat the bullet. Then I've dumped the powder back in the powder measure, and that brass will fall into the case measure. It's only it's only happening when I seat the bullet. When I seat the bullet, it seems to open the neck up just a bit too much where it doesn't want to go into the uh, case gauge. I mean, they'll go. Sorry. Got to give them a little push, but factory ammo will just drop in perfectly. Which which cartridge was this again? That's my two two three. that I'm reloading on my okay. Dylan. You're not uh, outside neck turning or anything like that? Nope. Hmm. Interesting. So, you want to hear a funny story? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you were getting this Jeep stuck? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to the podcast. You were talking about this? Uh-huh. And that's, that's what Kevin said. Probably having a donut for him, and that's when we <laughs> lost the Jeep. You <laughs> <laughs> <Keep laughs> <it>, Trevor. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So if you want to email the show, you can hear at Slamfire Radio. And if it's funny, we'll... Eh. Especially if it's Any, five star. Yeah. Five star. Um, That's a iTunes, yeah, iTunes, um, five star. Okay. We have 17 stars. Yes, we do. That's not divisible by five. What happens? <laughs> we have 117... 117- Five star reviews, Kelly. Oh, five star. Yes, yeah. I see that. That's, a, that's a lots of them. <laughs> I know you're not used to working with numbers that big, but that's that's what it's like over here. Oh, yeah. Not divisible not by great. five. I'm the one drinking. What are you doing? I should be drinking. That's funny. Well, it's a school night for you. It's not for me. Oh, I know. I've already done my lesson prep. Anyways, okay. So actually, we have 117 five-star reviews. Awesome. Thank you. Do the math. That's 585 <laughs> stars. Imagine. Yeah. And we have <laughs> 95 reviews and one Australian. Right. That took a year to read. And that's all. Well, now that we have an administrator, she knows, right? Okay. And can start checking the other feeds. So we do have one this one bad wolf. He had hack- <laughs> I love that hashtag. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, in just a couple of uh, episodes, we will have surpassed. The amount of time Canadian Reload Radio was on the air. Um, after we left, I think Andy, we left on like 154, 156, and Andy went to like 160 something. So, yep. All right. What else we got? Shout outs. Who do you got? Uh, I got one to James for taking me out to supper when he was in town last week. James is a listener of the show and fellow Ipsic shooter and um, Daniel Shaw, Carbine Vettel's two fellow graduate. 
and so um, he was actually here last night as well. So I, t- I told him my door is open anytime he's in town. He doesn't always have to buy me a meal, but it helps. Um, so yeah, okay. so he was here last night, and we were chatting up Ipsic and all that, all things gun. It was a good time. And, okay. Uh, yeah, he took me out to dinner the other night. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, Christina Adriel, was. Adriel, you and I have to find somewhere. Sorry. <laughs> Adriel was taken out to dinner. Somebody brought was him to Subway. Yeah, only. I had to pay for it too. Adriel had to pay for his own stuff. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> okay. All right. What did Christina do? Oh, she was just bitter because. You know, nobody was taking her out. So, in her honor, we went there, ordered her favorite thing, and then we 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 stopped short of taking pictures of it and texting it to her. So, and then I came back. He said, "What did he have? Did he have the pulled pork? Yes, he did. <gasps> did he? Yeah, and he didn't even like it. He didn't even finish it. What? Where did you go? Uh, the tea bar, the local hmm. ski hill has a bar or a restaurant. It's the only decent place to eat around here. Well, well, when when smoking the waters." Not open, mm. open the water is open different story. So, so yeah. So James, shout out to James for buying me dinner, and uh, continuing on this theme of people who give me stuff. Shout out to Kevin Latham. He put a box of uh, projectiles in the mail for me, so that was awesome. Thank you very much, Kevin. And to Thomas B, uh, also known as the Canadian Uzi distributor, the guy sends <laughs> this Uzi all over Canada for us to play with. He put mm-hmm. together a lovely little care package for me. Um, uh, Another box of like I, I I was freaking out a couple of weeks ago on the show about 168 grain Amax and how much my 308 loves them and people mm-hmm. have been sending them to me like it's awesome you guys are awesome I'm blessed thank you very much I've been rolling 308 like daily I'm up to like I'll have 500 loaded by the time this is done I never thought I'd ever <laughs> wow. be sitting on yeah I never thought I'd be sitting on 500 rounds of 308 but here we are so um, yeah. Thomas and Kevin can definitely get behind my 308 at the charity shoot if I bring it, depending on, on what we do. Uh, but Thomas also sent me these really cool arrowheads. I'm unsure of the legality of these things, but here's how they work. You screw the bottom off the arrowhead, and you insert okay. a 38 Special. Then you screw it back together, and then you screw it on your arrow, and then you load the arrow on the bow, and then you shoot it. What happens next? I'm not sure. But we're going to find out. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw those on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. And so he he put one of these in the box for Matthew and neglected to tell Matthew. Or he did tell Matthew. I don't know. Anyway, Matthew Matthew never saw it. So Matthew threw the package out. Then <laughs> one of these got thrown out. Oh, up. really? Yeah. So anyway. Okay. Don't use and, expensive and, arrows. And I oh. was going to say, and don't use. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> can you imagine taking this here. to an archery club? What would happen? Well, you'd get kicked out of the sport. <laughs> For starters, it's a given. So, um, uh, and he also threw in Sierra Match Kings. Oh my God, they're so sexy. 190 grain of jacketed hollow point precision, happy time goodness. It's amazing. So I can't. Yeah, I can't wait to load some. I'm going to throw some of those in some Lapua brass and uh, see how my how my twist rate likes them. I got a one in ten, so it should stabilize in 190, no problem. So. Those are those those beyond my shoutouts. Yeah, I wanted to give a, a shout out to Kelly for getting her apple seed rifle rifleman's patch. Like I, when I wrote this down, I was like, it should it be rifleman patch, rifle patch? Because uh, you're the you're the first Canadian female to do this, right? Yep. So Woo. I'm sure that there are a lot more. Yeah. Well, I want you to get. I want you to be the first one to do it on Canadian soil as well. That's gonna happen. At a maple seed. 
Yeah. Now the problem we all are we all get happy get instructors to teach yeah. apples. They sign people up and people who are enthusiastic about it. They want maple seed to they want to succeed. So everybody who's gonna be down up there to that you was, guys, yeah. Yeah. So Instructing. Or, um, Welcome to my world. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, you want to coach the archery or you want to shoot the archery? Oh, you want to be the match director or you want to shoot the match? But the patch is really cool. Yeah, well, you'll get it eventually. Somebody else will have to just fill just, in for you that day. Yeah. But, yeah, didn't I, didn't I see Kevin wearing a red hat or an orange hat or something? Yeah, so Kevin, Mario, and orange hats. I have the blue hat. So we'll and see how that works. We have to figure out how we're going to do it because we have to get uh, we have to get it up and running and instructor boot camp running. We'll figure well, it out. Um, we'll have to get Maple Seed here in New Brunswick as well. We'll need a provincial coordinator and then get clubs on board and definitely yeah, yeah, New Brunswick will have to be the next one after Ontario. What about yep. Alberta? Well, you yeah, we'll have- we got twenty twos out here too. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I guess we'll, we'll let you guys play. There. Yeah. So uh, yeah. And for me, shout out is a couple of people. Stacy, I want to give Stacy a shout out because of the fact she hosted everybody that he connects that came down from Canada. Um, but also, to actually, uh, over the last year, she gave me some tips. I, you know, I really appreciate. You know, it's really important for me to get my uh, my patch. And yeah, without all everybody, to everybody, yeah. Very good. Well, we knew you were going to do it, and I knew it wasn't going to take you know very many tries either. You were so close when you were here, yeah. and so uh, um, it's awesome. Now you need a new goal, right? You you've reached one goal. You need to immediately pick another goal to work towards because when you've achieved your goal, you're kind of lost yeah. for a little while. Like, okay, I did it. Uh, now I don't have any direction in my life. So, what's your next goal? With with that, <laughs> so my next goal with that is I do want to shoot another apple. Uh, but I, what I want to do is I want to two fifty. A perfect skate. Mm. I want to get over uh, 240. I'm going to have to going to have to change out my rifle. You thinking and you're going to go back to a more traditional style stock? Yeah, I'm going to have to. I had some issues with I had some issues with the rifle going into Apple. Uh, I should have cleaned it beforehand. I didn't, but one of the reasons why I did the fact that I have to take off my optics and I have to everything's tweaked really nice. So yeah. I had some issues with it as I was... I only shot four AQTs, but that's all that we ran. We ran two the first day and two the second day in the morning. I only shot the four of them, and every single one of them I was having uh, failure, failures to eject and also double thing, and it is the fact that I had a dirty rifle. And mm-hmm. from the day before, we had, you know, the rain, seat ice, um, but we also had dirt to the rifles and that as well, so... I'm going to have to change it out so that I can eat more easily in my rifle without having to actually hurt and strip everything down in that. What chassis system are you using? It's the ATI, ATI stock. But it, but is the scope not mounted to a rail on the receiver? Or is it like... It's, yeah, so it's mounted on a rail, but it, the rail's mounted on itself. So but I have to actually put it down. Really? Oh, I guess. So, mm. yeah, so that's why that's why uh, I'm looking at other stocks. Voids. Oh, thankful! Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Kevin's still liking his. Kevin had yeah, uh, high. Was, no, sorry. Those are big numbers. Yeah, five, ten, just a couple of shots mm-hmm. off a couple of millimeter. But anyways, so that's my next thing is to try and get forty, which I know I can because I was up in the high thirty-seven. But because of the fact that you know I had a high, but so. yep, and you've identified the issues and you know how to correct them, so you're well on your way. So. You. Okay. Awesome. Yep. So, anything else you guys uh, need to cover before? I'm good. Nope. Nope. Okay. 
So please join one of our National Firearms FR uh, uh, organization. Also check us on, uh, and also give us a like or to Facebook because we're only sitting at uh, 1,390. And uh, right now, as of That was correctly have, pronounced, by the way. I really like that you read that number. I was hoping that. <laughs> you did that correctly. Thank you. <laughs> well done. CD. And we're at 93 thumbs up. Did we get those added, Adriel? Yep. Yeah, I just okay. added them. And we have five gold stars. Two flukes. Is that, di- is that divisible by five? <laughs> Two flukes. Oh, flukes. We haven't had any flu- any gold stars lately. I don't expect any more flukes because we, we only have one whale listener. But, I mean, another gold star wouldn't hurt, would it? Mm. No. Just saying. Okay. All right. Okay. I guess. Have a great night, everybody. You too. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks. So if you have any comments or questions for the show, please send an email to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Now go grab a gun and shoot something. When the talking is over, it's time to get a gun.